Alright, so tonight we're, uh, of course, continuing our Exodus study, and we are in chapter 25 of Exodus. So uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25, uh, this, is, this is where we're picking up, uh, picking up tonight, Exodus chapter 25. And if you were here last week, we did, I think, uh, chapter 24 last week. Uh, I know we did, I think we did the whole chapter last week. Um, and we said, you know, so Moses has received the Ten Commandments and these laws from God, and it comes down, and basically they seal the covenant. This is the Mosaic covenant. Remember, he, he builds an altar, they have a sacrifice, the people are there, the blood is sprinkled on the people, the word goes forth. We basically said it, it looks a lot like a divine service uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, then Moses and, uh, and Aaron and a couple of individuals, they get to go see, see God. It doesn't really give us a lot of details, but they, it says they saw God and they see his feet. Uh, and then they, they have a meal. Sounds again kind of like communion with God. They commune with God. And uh, But then what happens is God's not done with Moses yet, right? We have the, the, the smoke and the fire and all these things going on the mountain. And then on the seventh day, he calls Moses back up into the cloud, into Mount Sinai. And how long is Moses going to be there this time? 40 days. Okay, again, 40, very significant number we, we see throughout the Bible. Of course, they're going to be in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. Uh, but in this case, Moses goes up with God uh, for 40 days. And what's happening during those 40 days? Well, uh, we are told basically that God is delivering uh, instructions to Moses. And as we're going to see, there's there's a lot of those. Um, so it's not, we're not giving every detail every minute, but God spoke to Moses a lot in those in these next chapters. And he's giving him more information he needs to bring down to the people. Okay, so we're going to see that. Um, as we go through. So really, from chapter 25 forward, the, the focus is on how God tabernacles, how he dwells with his people. Uh, really, for the rest of the book, that's you know kind of the main idea is that God is tabernacling, he's with his people, and, and how that's going to, to manifest itself. Okay, uh, so the, the next section here is basically all of chapter 25. Okay, so we'll read all of chapter 25. And then we'll uh, we'll go back and revisit some of this, but it has us in the study guide just taking the whole the whole chapter and then going back and looking at some of the things here. Now it is uh, forty verses, so we probably want to split that up. Um, so we have two two volunteers. Uh, maybe we have somebody read the first twenty. You want to volunteer for that, Dick? Sure. Okay, I see a hand going up here. So um, what about verses twenty one through forty? Do we have a volunteer for that? And Robert's going to take that, okay? All right, well, let's go for it. When Dick's finished, you can just jump in, and we'll just read the whole section of God's Word. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they, that they bring me an offering, me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, Blue and purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, thread, and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall make it. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, a 
of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet you, meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with, with you about all that. I will give you the commandment for the people of Israel. You shall, you shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth width wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make it four, it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the fridge, the, the ring shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of the acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plate and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. And you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table to pour me regularly. You shall make a lampshade of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered wood, work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyx, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out, out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand uh, out of the other side of it. Three cups made like an almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower, on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like all almond blossoms, with their calyx and flowers. And a calyx of one piece, with its under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyx and their branches shall be of one piece with it. The whole of the single piece of hammered work of pure gold, you shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up so that to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and the tray shall be of pure gold. It shall be made, and all their these utensils out of talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is shown to you on the mountain. Okay, all right. So it's a big section there. Um, you getting all this, Moses? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this took a while, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, and. I mean, there's a lesson for saying, okay, so much of God's word is, is specific, uh, and it had to be recorded with care. I mean, this isn't just like, you know, it's not like God is, is speaking these things to Moses and the prophets, and they're like, well, this is the gist of it. That's good enough. No. As I was talking with the kids in confirmation, like, okay, the Bible is God's word. It's all God's word. So, yeah, this is, this is again, an example. You know, Moses can't just generally record something. I mean, this has to be very specific. Uh, what he's writing down to make sure that it's correct. And then as they pass this down through the different scribes and copyists, you know, making sure that this was uh, meticulously recorded. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it just brought something to mind, that God's always specific. He's never vague about yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's another that's thing. Good. I was going to say, what hits us here, that's it. I mean, this is, this is specific. This is like building plans, right? This is giving size, materials, uh, location, everything. God is very specific, right? Um, you know, and again, that's what us, you know, our culture of us that have like German or Northern European heritage are like, yes, we like this. This is good. You know, everything's organized and planned out, right? But, um, but God, is, yeah, God is very specific. He doesn't just say, yeah, build this thing to put the Ten Commandments in, you know, put something on top of it, make it look cool. No, it's, this is the way it is supposed to be done. This is the way it's supposed to be done. And this is, as we're seeing, going to see, it's relating to the presence of God and the worship of God, right? So, so this is not something to play around with. Again, not to make laws when there, where there are no laws, but when a church is considering, you know, when you're renting something, you know, you're kind of limited by what's, what's there, right? And you have to kind of make it your own, you know? But if you're, if you're designing a, a, a church, especially the sanctuary, from the ground up, should that be something that is considered with great care? 
Like what's going to go in that sanctuary and where and everything like that. I mean, because God is certainly very specific about a lot of these things. And, and as we're learning a lot of our worship as New Testament Christians, a lot of that goes back to the Old Testament Jews in the temple. Right? I mean, just give me an example of something we got in here that you see in the Old Testament. Well, it's a great example is hidden behind the door. Yeah, the lamps. Okay, we have one. Why, why do churches have candles and stuff, right? They, they had that in the tabernacle, too. We're going to see Jesus in the light world, but candles, right? Um, it's hidden behind the whiteboard. What's back here? An altar, right? And that's that's really the cross and the altar. That's the focal point up here of what we have, right? Okay, by design. It's not just, well, this is, you know, fits here or whatever. Um, what else? Um, we have the Word of God, and what happens when we read the gospel lesson. Everybody stands up. That's Old Testament stuff too. Again, not to make a law where there's no law, but you have all these things. So, so the design of everything obviously is very important. Okay? Um, where we put the baptismal font. Okay, that's important. You know, some churches kind of have it hidden away in a corner and then get it out. I like it in the middle, but there, it really didn't work here again. So at the other church, you know, building we did, but I, I do have it up front here, right? So if someone's like, well, "What is that weird thing up there?" You can tell it's a baptismal font. So it's 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 important, you know, these these items of, of worship. Okay, when we use the paschal candle, put it out in the center, you know. So so God is, is very specific about this. We have some more liberty as New Testament Christians, but at the same time, we should keep all these things in mind. You know, it's it's just not. I mean, not to say we never considered human comfort or whatever. I mean, pews have padding on them now. In the old days, they didn't. I think that's fine. Okay, but uh, but you know, it's not just a, a comforter, uh, comfort like making it like a movie theater or something. You know, kind of idea. You know, because a lot of churches will kind of maybe more heavily consider that. You know, um, you know, we want to have nice, comfy chairs with you know things. Put our Starbucks in and everything like that. You know, like that. So okay, let's consider that. But you know. Let's consider some other factors too, you know, um, and all this good stuff. So, so yeah, God is, is very specific here, isn't he? Um, even in the New Testament, when it talks about worship, it says everything should be done decently and in order. That was part of the problem in the New Testament church. It was like a little chaotic. You know, Paul's like, hey, you, got, you know, they've got a lot of chaos here going around the Lord's Supper and people speaking in tongues everywhere and nobody's interpreting it. You know, this is, he said, this isn't the way it's supposed to be done. Okay, there's there's a there's a decency and in, in order to it. Okay? And that's certainly what God is telling Moses here. There's a lot here. Anything else that just hits you overall before we start going through this of uh, what we read? He repeats himself. He repeats himself as long as he makes the, the point clear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And even with the commandments, you know, God is he's always repeating things that are important, right? He doesn't say, do not fear one time, and that's it. I mean, it's, you know, it's all over. He doesn't say you're saved by grace through faith one time, and that's it. No, it's, it's over and over again, okay? He doesn't say, follow my commands one time. He says it over and over again, does it? Yeah. Okay? Anything else? That's the pureness of everything. Mm -hmm. Pure gold. Pure Yes. Pure everything. There's a reason for the pureness, because pure. it's pure. Right. And I think we've talked about this before. There's kind of a fine line between having nice and appropriate things for God and opulence over the top, right? That could be a fine line. But we do see here that, you know, are we just supposed to skimp on everything when we're talking about God's house? No, I don't think so. Okay? We're not supposed to say, what, what's, what's the cheapest thing we can find of this? You know, that is like the lowest quality. No, okay? I mean, if that's the best you can afford, then so be it. But at the same time, I mean, there's... You know, there's a considerable amount of resources uh, that, that go into this, right? Okay? And I, I think, you know, again, a lot of it depends on the context and makeup of your congregation, but you certainly don't want to just, you know, have the, the, the dollar general version of everything. You know, if you can afford at least the Walmart, right? Or maybe the Saks Fifth Avenue or something, or the furniture showroom. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's, as David said, this is not... You know, this is this is pretty, you know, uh, pretty uh, nice what God is saying here. But you're thinking about the presence of God. I mean, a lot of churches, um, and I, I mean, ours was donated, but uh, the communion where gets pretty expensive. But when you think, you know, again, the fine line there, but saying that this is these are the the uh, 
the containers, if you will, that will hold the very presence of God. Okay? That's why, again, not to make a law, but there's no law, but Trinity had the, the glass communion cups that we use, and they weren't using them. And so they said, I guess I, I snatched those things up to use them because I like it. Why would I like that? You think? Again, not to make a law, but there's no law, but. Yeah. yeah. Do we have to wash them? Yeah. And throw them in the trash. But it's, it's, it's glass. It's, it's, it's a nicer, you know, again, I'm, some pastors are completely against individual cups and they won't use them at all. But I, I mean, I'm not going to go that far. But at the same time, you know, if we're going to have the individual cups, let's have something that, you know, the, the blood of Christ is going to be in here rather than something we just throw in the trash. Again, I'm not making a law, but there's no law. I'm just saying I think that communicates something. Um, when you have the glass, the glass cups. I, one of my other pastors' uh, friends at the when circuit meetings, you know, we talk about that, and I said, yeah, we have the, the glass cups, you know, we like this. And he's like, that would never go over with my altar guilt, you know, because they have to wash them, you know, they would revolt, and that's my wife. But I said, well, I said, and so my comeback to him was, well, would you use a styrofoam cup or the chalice? I mean, well, really, what's the difference? It's disposable. So let's just go get a big gulp from down at the, uh, the convenience store and, you know, just go out to wash it, throw it away. You know? So, no, we wouldn't do that. Well, okay, well, let's have some nicer individual cups then, too. You know? Again, not saying you have to do it that way, but those are just little things I think that communicate what we're doing here is, is important. It's important. This is not, you know, just a child's play here. This is a, a serious, uh, serious thing. Okay. Um, all right. Those are all. Those are all good comments here. So let, let's let's go through this and, and look at some of the specific things in these in these verses uh, that that God is, is telling uh, telling Moses, and we'll see a lot of those things brought up. So Moses goes up on the mountain and he says, "Okay, speak to the children of Israel." He's about to give some instruction to Moses, and the first thing Moses is supposed to do is what? Tell the people what? Bring an offering. Bring an offering. Bring an offering. Okay, bring an offering. And the word offering, I like to use that word also better than collection. Sometimes the church say we're taking up the collection. And, you know, again, not to make a law, but there's no law. But what's the difference between a collection and an offering? What's the, what's the implication there? Willingness. Willingness. Collecting. Bill collectors come. Okay, the tax collector comes. But an offering is something we're offering to God, Right? Uh, we give thee but thine own, whatever gift may be, right? It's all yours anyway, right? We sing that here with the offering. So um, I, th- I like that word offering, and that's what God is saying here. He doesn't say impose a tax on the people and take their stuff. He says call for an offering from the people, and he wants them. And I think that's, you know, people argue about tithing and all that, and I think tithing is a good principle, you know, you set an amount of money, you know, in the Old Testament, there was 10%, but there were other tithes too. You know, you could get up into the 20s. Uh, that tithing is, is not a bad principle, but really the, the principle of giving that God loves, it says in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians talks all about giving. And what he said, God loves a what? Cheerful, Cheerful giver. Melissa's got it. Okay? So better than just saying there's a tax rate, you know, you've got to pay this much to come into church. Like the, the Latter-day Saints, they do that. They require tithing. You know, and, uh, that's why they have so much money. <laughs> you know, but, but, um, but, that, you know, but we say, you know, give it. And even some Protestants focus very heavily on tithing. I remember reading about a church one time. It's one of these kind of prosperity churches. If you were a tither, you got a better seat in the sanctuary. You know, it's like the gold club. Like if, does anybody else like get annoyed by that? If you wherever you go now, like hotels or planes, there's all these different like. I mean, it, it's almost like comedy becomes reality. You know, I can see 30 years ago there was like a if there was a Saturday Night Live skit about getting on a plane and they go through all these different 20 different groups avoiding the plane. It's like that now. We need our platinum people first, then the gold, uh, diamond, the ruby club. I mean, it's like come on. When do we get just the regular Joes like me to get on the plane? I haven't paid a million dollars, you know. But it's just kind of, I don't know, stuff like that bothers me. It's like kind of elitist, you know, like you got to join these clubs to pay money. Um, you know, it's, it's like that George Bulldog season tickets. You give a very big donation and you get season tickets and you get the more money you get, you get special access. If you give enough money, you get to drink alcohol in the stadium. Everybody else doesn't. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, this. anyway. So, uh, but the point is here, 
that, um, that, that is an offering and God is wanting to willing these pe willing people to, to give uh, to him and that uh, it's not like some kind of a, a tax again where you get a special seat in the church if you you know give so much money and stuff like that and again in the Lutheran church we'd have to do that from back to front you know the seats with the, the seat that you would get reserved us and those would go first right at the back and front not just Lutherans but a lot of churches like that you know nobody wants to sit up front right so um, uh, so yeah, so Moses says an offering. What kind of things are you, God again is specific? He says, "What kind of things do I want for an offering? What kind of things does He want them to bring for the offering?" Well, some gold and silver coins. Yeah, gold, a lot of gold and silver, right? Okay. Yarn. Yarn. Bread. Okay. Goat's hair. Goat's hair. That's an interesting one, right? Ram skins. I live. Mm -hmm. Badger skins, acacia wood. Yeah. So, so these are all specific things, right? Yeah. Why is God asking for all these things? Moses doesn't know yet. We know if we were paying attention. Why? Why all these things? This is going to be for the temple. But when we read through these chapters of how the all the the furnishings are built and the tabernacle is built, these are all things they're going to need. So God is saying, you know, he wants them to give an offering basically of building materials here, of materials. Um, does that communicate anything? I mean, could God have just said, miraculously, when you get down the mountain, you'll have stacks of everything down there to build the temple. He could have done that. But what, what may be significant about he's wanting an offering from the people of all these things to build the, the tabernacle and all the furnishings? Hmm. Okay, it's works. They're they're serving God, you know. but what what would maybe this communicate if everybody's participating and in, in chipping in, so to speak? They're all part of it. Mary's got it. It's community. Remember, Judaism and Christianity is they're not lone wolf face. Their face lived out in community. That's why I say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, okay, maybe technically. But, you know, what's that revealing about your heart? And you're missing one of the main points. Again, kind of like we've been talking about Sunday school, American Christianity is much more individualistic than tr traditionally. It's like, I've got my salvation thing, I've got my card, and I go about my way. Okay, i got my little get-out-of-hell-free card, you know, I, I check the box. And But but really, tradition, Christianity is a community. It, it's not just coming down for an altar call one time and then you disappear into the weeds. It's, it's you're coming and joining a family. A community. And that family's not perfect, is it? You may not even like everybody in that family, just like in your own, your physical families. But that doesn't mean it's any less important, right? Okay? So, so it's just a community effort. God is, is asking for every, and isn't that how the, the church works? Why do we have offering? Because the church has financial obligations, right? And should it be just one person doing it? No. The idea is everybody, whatever you can give, that may be more for some people, less for some people, but everybody's chipping in here. We're, we're giving an offering as an act of worship. Okay, I know some churches don't even do offerings anymore, and I understand we have technology, and during the pandemic, I know some of them just quit doing it. Okay, I, I'm thinking of one church I'll, I won't name because somebody might have a connection to it. I think they're still not doing the offering, okay? And it all saves us a couple minutes in the service. Okay, yeah, but... There's something about that, right? Of, of passing that plate and then the offering is offered before the Lord. Again, not to be legalistic, okay? It's fine if you just want to put it in the back like we did during the pandemic or whatever, but I think there's something about that, that that's worthy of, of taking a couple minutes uh, because everybody's chipping in very literally that, that if that can, and then it goes into a bank account and then it is, is spent, Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not against having special uh, wide items and, you know, people donate money for a certain thing, but I think you have to be careful. That can get out of hand very quickly, where the only time people in the church are giving money is if you do the thing I want, want you to do with my money. There's all these strings attached. So I think there has to be a balance. Yes, there may be certain projects we say, okay, donate to this, or somebody might say, hey, I've got this, but I want it to go towards this. But um, at the same time, there just needs to be that giving to the general fund. Okay, that's going to be used for the king because if nobody does that, then we can't do all the other stuff like pay the light bill and stuff like that, right? 
Okay, I've seen that get out of hand before where it's like everything, there's like 50 special line items in the budget. It's like, well, is anybody giving to the general? No wonder they're giving to the general funds out. Everybody's giving to their little pet thing that they like and not just to the general fund, okay? You know, go ahead. You can sign up for weekly uh, debits. Yeah, and, and again, I'm not against that. Use the technology. Um, that's there. We used to do that here, but then we had to start paying for it. Really, there were only two people doing it. I think the Morrises and, and us, that was it, you know? So we said, maybe we don't need to pay the fee or whatever, but yeah, I mean, the, more ways to give, that's that's fine. But at the same time, I don't think it's an either or, but there is something about that offering plate uh, part where, where everyone is, is chipping in and you see that. Again, does it get you extra points? No, okay, but there's something about that. I think that is an important part of, of worship, okay? Well, you have to think about it. Yeah, you, you know, have to think about it, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and you know, that's I, so. So you're getting this offering and all these things. The community is coming together. It's given willingly, and these are the things they're going to need to do all these things that that God is telling Moses you're about to do. Now, here's another thing. Okay, this is a bunch of people who are slaves wandering around in the desert. How did they have all this stuff, especially the silver and gold? Let's think back. Well, unless they stole it, right? That would, that would be sinful, right? But they got, they obtained it, we'll say, right? Remember, and they, they got the plunder of the Egyptians when they left and the last plague came up. They, they got, they carried off the riches of Egypt. So God is even thinking ahead, right? He wasn't making sure they got all this gold and stuff so they could open in a good investment fund. You know, he was saying he knew this was going to be needed later. So basically they, they plunder the things of the Egyptians uh, when they leave, and then they have all these things to do what God is wanting. How do they get, I mean, this is a lot of gold here. Some serious cash. I think he says in the study guide, adjusted for inflation, it'd probably be like $57 million of materials. It's a lot. That's back, yeah, yeah, it's back then. So, you know, even probably, well, yeah, the last couple of years, inflation's like doubled, right? So it's maybe a hundred million dollars, whatever. So this is, a, this is a lot. I mean, this is a lot for like a people basically that are wandering the wilderness that were slaves, but God has made a way where this, this could be, this could be done. Go ahead. Did the Egyptians give it up already? Yes. Yeah, they're like, you know, get up, get out of here, take our stuff, you know. Yeah, so they didn't have to like beat them up and steal it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the, so all of this is going to be put to use now, right? Uh, and uh, another interesting aspect is this: they're taking this gold and riches from a from people who serve pagan gods, and God's going to take that and use it for His glory. But they're also going to still have some to build the golden calf. But I think there's a lesson for that in us too: that you could take something that was God can take something that was meant for evil and use it for good. Okay, He He can redeem. He can redeem things. So he goes, oh, we can't use this gold because it's, uh, you know, from the pagans people. No, God said, well, we're going to use it to my glory. Okay. Churches have met in lots of interesting places um, that maybe were not the most holy places before they were churches. Okay. But, you know, God has you know, sanctified that that space, you know, and uh, he, he says, okay, let's, let's meet here. You know, that's probably not that big of a deal for Lutherans, but I know like a, the, uh, the church in, that unfortunately folded that was in Winder years ago they met like in the VFW where there's like a big like full bar behind them you know maybe not a big deal for Lutherans but by some Baptist people whoa what's, what's going on here is this uh, I remember years ago in Athens there was like a, a, a we'll just say an adult entertainment business that closed down and it, like a church bought it like later and turned it into a church they had to remove like a pole and things like that you know, from, the, from the building you know so it's like yeah, so maybe you need some remodeling. Uh, yeah, we probably don't need this here, you know. Uh, yeah, so let's get rid of this. I mean, just all kinds of things like that have happened. You know, but God can take something and, uh, you know, use it for his glory, you know. All right, so uh, where are we at here? So we're going through and seeing what God is, is telling Moses. And I think all those details are important. And in verse, uh, I've lost my chapter here. So all these things, again, are like pure gold. Uh, the... The acacia wood, is that how, how we say that? Or acacia wood? Acacia. Acacia wood. Okay, you know, you're in the know here, right? The acacia wood. Um, this is, this is again, one of those situations. In the King James Version, it's translated, the, the name of the wood is the S-H-I-I-T-I-M wood. 
So you have to be careful how you say that, okay? Whenever the readings come up of that, it's like the elder's like, okay, it's like, well, just pronounce it like an item, item. Use the long I there and you'll be safe, okay? Uh, but that same kind of wood. But what kind of wood was this? The acacia wood was basically what? Acacia trees. Acacia trees, but is it tough? It's a hard wood. It's a hard wood. I mean, it's a, this is basically like indestructible wood. So this is this is strong, you know, good materials. It grows in the desert. Okay, well, they're in the desert, right? Where are they going to get? I mean, you got to be a tough tree to survive in the desert, right? Wimpy trees need not apply because you know you're not you're not going to survive, right? Okay, you got to be tough. So so all these materials that, that God is is giving them uh, are are strong and, and they are they are important for what He is about to do. Okay. Let's see anything in the notes here that we haven't covered yet. Uh, oh, um, all right, let's go then to um, what's going to happen here. God's going to tell them to, to build certain things, going to tell Moses to build basically this tabernacle, which we'll get into more uh, specifics with in chapter 26. Uh, chapter 25, there are basically four main kind of, I guess you'd say, furnishings of the tabernacle that he's going to go through and tell them. Uh, how how to uh, build and essentially, especially I get too far ahead of myself, but in the notes he talks about this, this this mercy seat on top of the ark. This is the literal like dwelling place of God amongst His people. So it talks about the study guide. That's really like the throne of God, like the earthly throne of God. God sits on that. And that's where His presence sits between those those cherubims on the mercy seat um, and. Remember, we're not dealing with a separation of church and state here. We're dealing with a theocracy because it's ruled directly by God. You know, God is the one giving these laws and saying this, okay? Um, but so, so God has a throne amongst his people, but is that going to be good enough for them in the long run? No. What are they going to do, David? I know you've mentioned this before. To, yeah. What do they say they want? They want a king like the other countries. So they, they have something better here. They have a God's literal throne where he's dwelling amongst them as their king. And they want to say, we want to be like those other people over there, God. And God eventually says, okay. And be careful what you pray for because you might get it. Okay, you wanted the king and be like the other countries? Okay, fine. See what happens. And the first one, Saul, he, he messes up right away, doesn't he? Okay, and for a little while it's going on, but I mean, he ends up having some issues, right? Jealousy and tries to kill David and all this, and he ends up going down the wrong road. So, uh, so that, I think that's a good thing he pointed out there in the study guide there, that this is really the throne of God amongst his people, and this is the best thing you could have, but later on, that's not good enough. You know, what have we been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? Some greed, right? Greed, covetousness. I mean, it's at the root of so much. Why do we get two commandments on coveting? Well, because Coveting is the root of, like, all this other stuff that's going wrong. Okay, all these other violations of the other commandments, a lot of it starts with coveting, doesn't it? You know, it starts with coveting. I want this, that's not mine. I want things my way. You know, I don't have enough stuff, i got to get it somehow. Willing to, to cut corners, uh, you know, who cares if it's ethical or not, as long as we're making money. Okay? All right? Um, all right, and one other thing on that, like, Again, the fine line here, it bothers me a little bit. You know, it's like going to certain, some of these big old churches and they, they're just so opulent and you're thinking, man, the people outside here are in poverty or they were at that time. I think that's to be considered. But at the same time, if you went into a town and the biggest, nicest building in it is a church, does that communicate something? What does that tell you about the people of that town? This is the most important place. This is where the most effort and, and resources have been spent. Um, I preached a sermon one time after I went to New Orleans for the youth gathering, which is kind of an interesting place to have a youth gathering, you know, Bourbon Street and all that going on. And our hotel was like two blocks from Bourbon Street, but we never told the kids that. I don't think they figured it out. Now they'll have like phones, you know, like they'd be like Google. But yeah, it's like, you know, so literally if you went like two blocks from our hotel, you were at Bourbon Street. But we had a group of kids. They didn't really try to sneak out or anything like that. I'm like, if I was a teenager at that time, we would have to sneak out and see what's, what was all this about, you know. And they did, they did catch some kids from other group down there. But you got 30,000 teenagers, some of them were going to be bad, you know. But um, 
do bad things. But anyway, the sermon's up. You go to New Orleans, and in the old part, right around the corner from Bourbon Street, there's Jackson Square. And guess what is in Jackson Square if you've ever been there? The cathedral. Yeah, the cathedral. It's this incredible cathedral. Okay, that was the old part of New Orleans. Okay, what's the most important thing to these people? It's not Bourbon Street. Say, like, well, it's, it's the church. Okay, you go down the road a little bit where the convention center was, where they had all the uh, meetings during the day and stuff for the youth. Guess what the biggest building in that part of town is? Not a church. The convention center price the flattest, but even more, like you look at this building and the convention center is the same, then you press the market, it's just like kind of functional, it's big. It's like, it's huge. It's like a mile to walk this thing, okay? It's incredible. New Orleans has a lot of conventions because people like to go to Bourbon Street, right? But what, what is what is down there, like this thing had columns, it was fancy, it was tall. Guess what it was? It's a casino. Casino. So if I'm looking around that part of New Orleans, they go, what do, what do these people value? What's important to them? Oh, casino. So I go down the street, though, it's a church in the old part of town, a new part of town is a casino. You go down the road a little bit more, it's where we had the mass events, the Superdome. Sports, there's another false god people can have. What's important to these strange people, you know, Aliens Land, what is in this big dome thing? Oh, they play a game, and well, this is kind of the big deal, they put a lot into this. What does that tell you? Sports are huge. You go to Athens, what's the biggest thing in Athens? Sanford Stadium. Okay, that tells you something about the city, right? Okay? Alright? So so the what God is, is telling them to put all these resources, if they follow what God says, this is going to tell, communicate something about their people, what's important to them. All their gold and, and all this stuff's going into building a, a house for God. Okay? Alright. Um, right, so as we learned last year in this little book that we studied last year, there was a whole part about that. Everything that God is telling Moses that you need to do, that you need to put in the temple, how you need to design it, what is it pointing us to? Who is it pointing us to? Jesus. Jesus. To Christ. Everything in there. Okay? Some of it very explicitly in the book of Hebrews tells us that. Some of it kind of implicitly, like you're like, yeah, this has got to mean that. But everything in the temple, as we look through, we're going to talk about some of it again here, is pointing us to Christ. And what's the point of the tabernacle? This is where God, of course, God is everywhere, we know. But, but God's direct presence with his people is in this tabernacle. That's where it is, specifically that mercy seat. But this is where it is. So God is dwelling with his people. How does that point us to Jesus? Jesus came as one of us. God came as true man and true God. He walked with us. He ate with us. He died like we do. Okay? So this is point is to God is with his people. What's one of the names for God? One of my favorite names for God? Yahweh. I like that one. But it can start with an E or an I. I went to a college called this. Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. So we have a God, the Bible says, that is not distant, that is not far off. It is a God who comes and dwells with his people. Okay? Humbles himself as he will to come and become as a form of, of, of a man. Okay? So, so the temple's already pointed us to it. God could just say, well, I'm going to be up in heaven. I'll be on this mountain, and I'll holler at you, Moses, if I need to tell you. But he's like, no, I'm going to be with you, and I want you to take me, my presence, wherever you go. That's pointing us to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Where is God's temple right now? It's not 3100 Isla Road. It's not 4200 Isla Road. It's, not, it's with God's people. It's here, but it's everywhere God's people are. Okay? Question, comment? I saw a hand up. Go ahead. Doesn't it say that he walked the camps at night? Yeah. They told him to clean the camps up. Don't clean the Yep. Yeah, I think that, right? mm -hmm. So even then, he walked amongst the people. Yes, exactly. And that's where we get some of that angel of the Lord stuff yeah. we were talking about, too. Yeah. Okay, so, so you see here what God is, is telling them he's going to do. Um, and um, we need to put a word up here that confuses the dickens out of some people. Uh, you guys might all know this already. But it's important. If you don't know this, you're not going to understand what he's talking about. And the measurements he gives for everything, what's the word? Cubit. Cubit. Everything's in cubits, right? Everything's in cubits. Uh, so what is a cubit? <laughs> Anybody know? 
All right, Dick's got it. It's, uh, uh, did you have it too, Robert? Here is again. I had a translation where it actually gives you measurements. It gives you, like, you know, cubits says 27 inches. You know? Okay, which translation is that? God's Word translation. God's Word for today or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like the, the Good News Bible, maybe is that translation. Yeah, so I was, uh, NIV, ESV, and King James just said cubits. That's as far as I went. <laughs> so I'm like, there's got to be some. So Roberts gives you, but a cubit, as Dick was saying, it's from the, the, the middle fingertip to basically your elbow, basically. The forearm and the hand. That's what. It, that's how they would do measurement. Um, on an average adult man, that's 18 inches. It's a foot and a half. So basically take any of those cubits and multiply them times 1.5 if you want feet. Okay? Because it's a foot and a half. Again, there's some variance there depending how big people are, right? But that's how do we know how big the ark was? Well, it's at least 450, I think, feet because of the, the cubits. It gives it cubits. Okay, so, so that's important to know. The cubit is a standard of measurement. It's about 18 inches, which is pretty convenient because it's fairly easy to multiply that, right? <laughs> you know, to get the feet. So um, 18 inches is a cubit. So when you when we see all these measurements, that's that's what it's talking about. Now you're going to have these different parts of the tabernacle complex, if you will. You'll have the courtyard, you'll have the holy place, and then you'll have the most holy place. Okay, which is 30 cubits long in uh, the tabernacle itself, but then the holy place is 20 by 10 cubits. And the, I'm sorry, the uh, 10 the, the most holy place was 10 by 10 cubits. Okay, the Holy of Holies are the most holy place. So it's 10 by 10. So what's the shape of the place where the, the ark is in? The Holy the holy of Holies. What's well, the 15 feet by 15 feet, the dimensions, and what's the shape of that? It's a square. All right, again, think of geometry, again, of God of order. A square, it's all equal, right? Equal sides, equal angles. It's, it's designed linear, linearly. And then it goes up too, right? Because you got the poles going up. So really, it's not just a square; it's a cube. It's a cube. Fast forward to Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation. The New Jerusalem comes down from heaven, and God is going to dwell with His people eternally. All those in Christ. What does it say? What What does the New Jerusalem look like? A cube. It's a cube. Yeah, it's a cube. A much bigger cube than 10 by 10. Thank goodness. So we'd be kind of crowded, wouldn't we? You know, so, okay. Hey, move over. Yes, yes. It's 144. Yeah, I think it's like the dimensions you'd go like half, most way across the country and then up and all this. But, um, but yeah, so again, this is pointing us to the ultimate. God's presence is in this cube in the tabernacle, later the temple. And when we read at the, the end of days, when the new Jerusalem descends, it's a cube. It's a cube. Okay? So the Bible's all connected. It's all connected. All right. Um, so we see that in the, the New Jerusalem as well. All right. Flip over to page 108. And I am so glad you put a diagram in here, right? If you're a visual learner and you're reading all these dimensions and everything, and you might even want to fill some of these in as we go along. Uh, but you can see there he has a diagram of all these things that he's talking about in these chapters. You can see the, the big box on the outside. Obviously, that's the whole courtyard. Then you see the holy place. Uh, then you see the, the holy of holies uh, there as, as well. So these are all the things that we're going to be hearing about in the next few chapters. Right? And so you can label that the holy of holies there, the cube, you know, it's 10, uh, you know, 10 feet by 10 feet there. Uh, and so you've, you've got uh, this diagram here. Now, the whole thing is 100 cubits. That's like 150 feet. Um, and then the, the width of it is 50 cubits, so it's 75 feet, to give you an idea of how big this was. You know, so you're basically talking about the whole court, the whole complex is 100 by 75 with the outer, but then you get into the, the inner tent. And as we see, how is this designed? This is a pretty big thing. I mean, 100 feet by 75 feet, then you've got the, the holy place in there, and you've got all these furnishings. But how is this designed? How does God say to design this? It is, is it a permanent structure? It's got to be moved. This was a job. Okay, you've got a lot of people, though, that can help. But it's, it, 
when we get into all these directions, you notice how he says he put like basically hooks on everything, rings and hooks. And so it's like if you've ever set up a tent, you know, you see the circus sets up a big tent or you go camping, you're like, how do I get this thing out? You know, one time Shoshana and I went camping. We don't go camping very much, but I left the tent poles at home. <laughs> and this was like a primitive camping thing. So I was out using my Boy Scout skills, cutting off limbs from trees and we took a picture. This tent was like really sagging, but it was enough where we could get into it. But I had to make tent poles like pioneer style. You know, I was like, "You forgot the tent poles." <laughs> okay, all right, we're stuck out here now. It's getting dark. Maybe there's something out there. But um, but yeah, it's it's designed to be portable. But I mean, this is a big, significant thing. But it can be taken down the poles and every the tent, the skins, everything. And then when they moved, then it would be set up again. So it was a major project, but it was designed to be portable. And again, that's where all these directions come in that God is giving Moses, right? That he had to design it this way. So it would be would be portable. So think about that. Now, later, the temple will be modeled on that. And it's in Jerusalem, but that's a ways down the road. That's Solomon, you know, is going to build, build the temple. Okay? All right? So this is designed to be portable in the directions uh, set that up. But it's still a significant uh, thing to, to move around. All right. So what are the, the furniture that he's going to go through here? Uh, he's going to talk about there's there's going to be the showbread or the, you know, the holy bread there. There's going to be the golden lampstand or candlesticks. There's going to be the altar of incense that he, he describes. But what's arguably the most important thing and the first thing that he tells Moses to build? The ark. The ark of the covenant. Okay. Now remember the word ark is used several ways in the Bible. Um, you have Noah's ark, like a big ship. Uh, you have Moses himself was in an ark, a uh, basket in the Nile, and now they're building an ark that will contain uh, these holy things of God, and God's presence will be be there. Okay, so so the ark ark is a pretty important word. Um, all right, so we're going to see he gives the directions of all this, uh, all these things. Okay, so. Uh, so the tabernacle is fashioned in the way the Israelites could carry it through the wilderness. We've already said that. Um, they, you know, they would carry, and, and even the furniture had hooks and stuff, right? Remember when he told them how to build the ark? There were these hooks on it, and then the, the poles of the wood could be, you know, put through there, and it could be carried. So God has left no detail to chance here, okay? Um, what's the, the ark covered with inside and outside this wood? What is it? Pat, okay, go ahead. I just want, how often do these people move? A decent amount. I mean, I don't think it was like every day. Have I missed that before? Yeah, I mean, it's going to go through all these wilderness wanderings, but it wasn't like every day. Uh, if they were moving on the day, they would have probably just kept carrying it. Yeah. Yeah, it would be, um, yeah, it wouldn't be something you could just pop up and down. This wasn't a pop, you know. I was just wondering how often they had. Yeah, had to move. Six days and then they said. Six days and yeah, could move on Sunday. Yeah, so I'm trying to think. I think it does give us a little bit of timeline, but I mean, it would be a significant amount of time. I mean, it's 40 years. You know, yeah. So I'm thinking more like maybe Plains Indian, uh, uh, you know, movements where they would stay one place for a little while and then follow the, the buffalo herd somewhere else rather than up and down. It makes me think of my army days a little bit because our uh, signal stuff we set up, these things, it wasn't permanent, it was portable, but man, it was it was a job to set up. It took like a whole day. So like when we set it up, hopefully it would stay in there for a little while because you didn't want to take the thing down, 100 foot antenna and take it up and down. And it was it was a process, let me tell you. So um, but once you got it up, then you're pretty, pretty good. But, but that, that's a great question, Pat. That's a great question. All right, so um, so what what is the ark going to be? It's going to be made of this wood, right? And what's it covered inside and out with? Gold. Again, gold being this incredibly precious metal. Okay, if something's gold, I mean, if you want to give your your wife a nice piece of jewelry, you don't give her something made out of tin foil, right? You get gold because you know it's uh it's nice. Okay, so uh, so gold represents you know something of, of great value. All right. Um, how big was the ark? When you look at the dimensions here, the ark was what? The dimensions of the ark. All right. It was, I think, was it um, 2.5 times 1.5? 1.5. 1. 
Yeah, two and a half cubits, cubit and a half y. Okay, so translate that to feet. We've got three feet and um, yeah. So let's let's multiply here. So we got okay, eighteen. That would be what uh, it would be what not uh, three feet nine inches. Is that right? My math correct? And then the width, you're going to have two feet three inches. Okay, somebody can check my math. That's what I came up with. What's the width in cubits? Uh, 18. 18 inches on a cubit. No, I meant, I meant the two and a half cubits over the length. So that's, yeah. so that's eight, 18, 36, and another. 54, right? So then we're looking at 54 to 4 feet, right? 4 feet and. How many? 54, 48, 6, 8 inches? Is that right? I need my math, my math helpers out here. 27 and a half. <laughs> yeah. A cubit, a cubit and a half. So a cubit and a half would be, for the width, would be uh, 18 plus 9, right? 27. Yeah, 27. So yeah, that's 2 feet 3 inches. I was right on that one. But I think a little over, if we have, see, 36. Yeah, plus 1854. So you'll get four feet six inches, I think. Yeah. Um, I was trying to get a comparison here again. Our board is in front of here, but that's just a little bit bigger than our altar. Okay? The altar that we have here, and which is basically behind this. So think about you know, this might give you a size. So was it huge? No. No. I mean this is it was heavy though, I imagine. This hard wood covered in gold and stuff stones in it and everything. Uh, but it wasn't that big. Okay, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that big. It had to be portable, as we're saying that. It's hard to move, but it could be moved. Yeah. What did you say? I have another question. At one point, what is it that you're supposed to touch this thing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the poles. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't touch the arm. You're yeah. it, you touch it, of course. At what point, that's okay. Now, well, it would be when it was finished and consecrated. Okay. Yeah, like now this is, you know, a holy item for the Lord's, uh, when they dedicated it. That's a good question, yeah. But even carrying it, the poles, yeah. they're long poles, so nobody's touching this thing. Um, God said, you know, don't touch the ark. And when they have the ark, of course, this is going to give them, you know, victory over their enemies because they have God's presence. But at the same time, even the people of Israel had to be careful about, you know, you just don't mess around with, with the ark. I mean, this is the presence of God, okay? Um, so again, it's not a huge thing, but the first thing he tells them to build is the ark. Um, and some of the commentary here, again, I don't think there's a specific New Testament verse for this, but I think there, it's legitimate what he's presenting as this could mean that, is if the ark is pointing us to Christ, you have, this is kind of pointing us to the dual nature of Christ. Because you have the gold, which would represent the divinity of Christ. You have the wood, which would represent the man. And it's one object of the ark, but there's the two elements there. If you take away one of the things, then you don't have it. Um, and again, we, we can't pinpoint where, you know, it's probably not a health lesson pinpoint. Where does the divinity of Jesus stop and the man start? You know, um, Luther, Luther had the best illustration of it I could think of that. He said it's like heat in an iron. You have the metal and you have the heat. And they're two separate elements, but you can't just draw like a line where one starts and the other one stops. That's that's the best illustration of I've heard of it. But the arc would, would point us to that. That the two natures don't they don't co-mingle. Uh, but you know with without one or the other then you don't really have the thing. Okay, if you took the gold or the wood away from the ark, if you take the gold away, you just got a wood box. If you take the wood away, then you just got gold. You don't really have a, a box. Okay? So I think that that I don't think that's too much of a stretch there. Um, what's in the ark? Testimony. The, yeah, the testimony of the, 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 the tablets of the law. What else is in there? Aaron's, Aaron's staff that budded with their, the priestly line. And then the third thing you got in there is what I want to see when I get to heaven, the manna. That's what I want to say. What exactly was this manna like? You know, I want to see this, this jar of manna here. I think that'd be so interesting. Um, so the manna points us to Jesus as the bread of life. Uh, the staff, he said, points us to the resurrection as, as life 
uh, comes you know out of this uh, out of this branch, and then of course the commandments point us to the law and Jesus fulfilling the law. Okay, so even what's in the ark is all pointing us to to Christ. Um, the mercy seat. The mercy seat is basically the top of the ark. And what what does he say to put on top of the ark? And the what's on the top of this on the mercy seat? Cherubim. Cherub. Yeah, cherubim too. Cherub singular. Cherubim too. And when I read this, like I guess the English translation, I'm thinking like angels, kind of like angels. But actually, uh, in the in the it says this really what this is talking about in the ancient world, a cherub was a hybrid. Um, it had it was um, it had the it had a lion's body, okay, a human head, and then eagle's wings because it talks about the wings covering the face. So really, that's what this would have been. Uh, this cherub was a it's a Again, kind of a part man, part human uh, object. And between those two cherubs, with the wings covering their face, between that is, is where the presence of God would be and what was applied there. Gold. It was gold. It was gold. But what was applied at the mercy seat? Very important. The blood, right, of the sacrifice. Okay, the blood The blood was, was applied here. Okay, so so the uh, then, okay so we've got the mercy seat with the cherubs, uh, and it was sprinkled with the blood by the high priest. Again, that's pointing us to Christ, right? Okay, um, Christ's blood is more precious than silver or gold. First Peter chapter one tells us that um, we approach God through the high priest through the blood of Christ. Um, so let's see what else. We're about out of time here. Let's see if we can get this these real quick because I think we've talked about these before. All right, the next thing. What about what? What else does God tell Moses to make in this chapter besides the ark? There's three other things: the golden lampstands or candlesticks, depending on your translation. How many of these? How many points of that are there? Seven. You got three on each side in the center. That's a significant number. That points us to Christ as the light of the world. Now it's functional because you need some light inside this dark tent, right? Okay, but that's pointing us to something. Uh, this is some of the, the worship furniture. What else do we have in there? The table, and it has this molding, or the King James says crown, and we talk about that even a crown molding, you know, this fancy stuff some people have in their houses up top, you know, uh, make it nice. Uh, so it has this, this crown around it. Uh, so you have the, the, the table, and what's on the table? What's on the table? They have them in the, in the bread, right? The bread, which is the presence of God. And there were 12 loaves that were kept on that, the show bread, the bread of the presence. And one of the jobs the priests had every week is they traded that out uh, for fresh bread, okay, every week. Uh, but now there's 12, 12 tribes, right? 12 apostles, again, all pointing us to the New Jerusalem. Uh, it says the table, the bread of the presence was two cubits long and a cubit wide. Okay, so that's 36 by 18, right? Three by one and a half. Okay, not a huge table, but big enough to put some, some bread on there. Um, and of course, Christ says, I am the bread of life. Um, the lampstand is the light of the world. Uh, what about the, the uh, table of incense? Well, this, what does the incense represent? Prayer. Prayer. Yeah. Jesus says, it is, we are told in Hebrew, is our, Hebrews is our intercessor before the Father. Right? He's our intercessor. We pray to Jesus, have access to the Father. So the incense is burning, and it, it represents the prayers of the people going, going to God. Okay? So again, I... You know, I like to break out the incense once in a while, but it's certainly biblical. Okay, it's certainly biblical. Love you love it, yes. You either like it or don't, is what I felt. It's like that. You like it or you don't like it, you know? So, uh, but, but it's certainly biblical. Certainly biblical, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, there's a biblical basis for it here, especially in worship, because the temple, as we said, the tabernacle really points us to what we do here. Okay? It's, our, our worship is just patterned after that. So, it, it, there was certainly incense uh, then. Okay, again, not to make laws, but there are no laws, but it's certainly a biblical precedent for it. All right, so 
that's basically it. We got through chapter 25. There was a lot there, but some, some really good stuff. Um, again, and these are all things in Exodus people are not as familiar with. They all know about the escape from Egypt and all that, but there's a lot of important stuff here because all of this is pointing us to what God is going to do. So next week, when we come back next week, we'll continue with this and we'll see chapters 26 and 27. Uh, there's more directions given about the actual uh, tabernacle, the tent part that's built, and there's an altar for burnt offerings as well. Um, so there's, there's more to come, but we, I think we've got a good start, good start on it here uh, this week. Any other questions or comments? I think we hit on all the main things I, I wanted to. I, one of the questions was, does this sound like an easy task to you? That was the last question. Anybody answer that? I said no. It doesn't sound easy. But at least he's given us directions. He's given us directions. He gave Moses directions of, of exactly how to do this. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, anything else? All right.